Production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream Public Media are made possible by PNC and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated. Welcome to the City Club of Cleveland. Welcome to the City Club of Cleveland, where we are devoted to conversations of consequence that help democracy thrive. It's Wednesday, January 25th, and I'm Kristen Baird Adams, President of the City Club Board of Directors. It is my pleasure to welcome today the Honorable Blaine A. Griffin, Ward 6 Councilman, Ward 6 Councilman and Cleveland City Council President. Council President Griffin has been in service to Cleveland for decades. Since 2017, he has represented Ward 6, one of Cleveland's most diverse wards, including the east side neighborhoods of Fairfax, Larchmere, Little Italy, Woodland Hills, and parts of Buckeye Shaker, University Circle, North Broadway, Slavic Village, and Union Miles. In November 2021, Griffin was re-elected to serve as Ward 6 Councilman. Shortly thereafter, Cleveland City Council members elected him to serve as Council President amidst a sea change of leadership transitions in our community. In this role, Council, Griffin, Council President Griffin and his colleagues, of course, influence budgets and provide oversight and develop policy priorities for the City of Cleveland, a responsibility that he does not take lightly. In a recent communications to his uh, recent communication to his constituents, Council President Griffin, or Griff, stated, "Cleveland is going through a time of transition. People are excited about the future, but I often caution everyone: change is a process, not an event. In an era filled with once-in-a-generation once opportunities and challenges, Council President Griffin will provide updates on 2023 priorities." and insights on what's ahead for Cleveland and its 119th City Council. If you have questions for our speaker, you can text them to 330-541-5794. That's 330-541-5794. Or you can tweet your questions at the City Club, and the City Club staff will do its best to work them into the second half of the program. Members, friends, and guests of the City Club in Cleveland, please join me in welcoming the Honorable Blaine Griffin. Thank you so much, uh, Kristen. And I want to preface this that uh, my colleague Joe Jones said that I have unlimited time. So <laughs> please be patient with me. I will maybe long, but I trust and promise that I will not be long-winded. But first of all, good afternoon. It is an honor and a privilege to have an opportunity to address you in this forum. The City Club of Cleveland is truly a citadel of free speech. I'm not only here representing myself, I am proud to be here representing my faith, not only in God, but this city, the city that I love. My family, who I'm so fortunate to have, Ward 6, the 37 diverse, unique, and distinct neighborhoods of the city of Cleveland, and Cleveland City Council. Will all of my colleagues for Cleveland City Council please stand? 
When I was selected by my colleagues to be president of Cleveland City Council, I asked myself, why me? Why do I deserve this honor? But then as I thought about it, I said, who am I to question the infinite wisdom and good judgment of my colleagues? I'm just kidding. In all honesty, thank you for allowing me to serve you and our community as your council president. I am truly humbled and honored every day. Ladies and gentlemen, your Cleveland City Council is strong, collaborative, accountable, transparent, and committed. We take care of people and we get stuff done. We are an independent, co-equal branch of government. We will not be subservient to any other governing body or coalition. Council will not be the Rodney Dangerfield of Cleveland. We represent the people of Cleveland. Anything else you hear is disingenuous, hyperbole, and misleading. There's a subtle effort by some groups in our nation, state, and yes, our city, to undermine and dismantle institutional systems and leadership structures disguised as democracy building, engagement, disruption, accountability, claims to represent the people, and allegations of council people being incompetent, uncaring, selfish, corrupt, and lethargic and ineffective. Ladies and gentlemen, that is not true. We work our butts off for this city and for the people of this city, and I'm here to tell our story today. These allegations have led to extreme polarization, disenchantment, and a distrust in systems and government throughout our country, our state, our region, our city, and especially our community and city. There are also some people who are very well-meaning and just want to see a better, more equitable Cleveland that works for everyone. Many people in this community share counsel and my goal for Cleveland to be better and to do better. Cleveland City Council wants to work with you. The people of this city elected us, and we are proud to be the duly elected representative government that the people of this city chose to govern. People know their council person. They may not get to meet their president, governor, county executive, congressperson, judge, may not even get to meet their mayor. But they will pick up the phone, send an email, contact or harass you on social media. <laughs> they may even stop by your house, although I would not recommend that. <laughs> My wife wouldn't like that often. We see them at grocery stores, gas stations, the Academy Tavern, and having a cup of coffee at the Umbar, their favorite neighborhood establishment. We are, as Teddy Roosevelt said, the men and women in the arena. It takes courage to do what we do and I'm proud to serve as a member of the body of the 119th Cleveland City Council. So what does that mean? It means that I have a legitimate excuse for all this gray hair and bald head that you see. <laughs> I have no idea how my good friend, the Dean of Council, Mike Polisic, has done this for 45 years. Mike. These are his words, not mine. He often tells me that is not a good sign of mental stability. <laughs> I used to be fit and had an afro and jet black hair, but as you can see, that changed. That's because city government is a contact sport. I have to count votes every day, build coalitions, establish partnerships, tell people no sometimes, mediate disputes, 
think big and small. Most of all, because I bear an enormous responsibility to make Cleveland a better place. But the good news is, I get to wear the badge of honor to represent 17 people who care for this community, sacrifice time with family, friends, and personal aspirations, and work countless hours because we love Cleveland. The land, the community, the people. We care so much for this city. Once again, to quote President Teddy Roosevelt, nobody cares what you know unless they know that you care. If you leave with nothing else today, I want you to hear the words of my colleague, Kevin Conwell, as he describes council people. And I want all of the council people to say it with me, especially you, Anthony Harrison. We have an up-close view, a sensitive ear, and a genuine concern for the people of the city of Cleveland. Before coming here today, I discussed my remarks with my biggest fan, critic, and confidant, my wife Jeanette, who is here today. I asked her, what did she think I should say to this august body of individuals, curious spectators, critics, and haters, <laughs> admirers of free speech and good government? She replied with this advice. She said, Griff, don't be too charming, too witty, too intellectual, just be yourself. Now, here it is, I thought I was naturally all of these things. <laughs> but leave it up to my wife to keep me humble, but I'm happy and honored that she's here to join me today. And she's joined by my mother, Erlene, and her husband, Johnny, as well as, as well as our newest addition to the family, our good friend, my newest daughter, Jasmine, and my soon-to-be granddaughter, Layla. So ladies and gentlemen, thank you today for allowing me to be myself. I'm always eager to tell my story, which is not unlike many of my colleagues and the people that we serve. I'm just a kid raised by a single mother, Earlene Bentley, as I just mentioned, who's here today, who grew up in the shadows of abandoned steel mills on the concrete playground. And now I'm living my dream in this big city, but a small town. I believe there's a personal evolution that allows you to be so blessed to serve on Cleveland City Council. Many of us have traveled this path to get to where we are. First is activism. When you are passionate and you believe in something so strongly, you're willing to put yourself on the line to get it done. Many council people are and still are, were and still are activists, fighting for a better quality of life, good paying jobs, fighting against hunger and food insecurity, fair and affordable housing, combating the lead crisis, advocating for environmental justice, fighting against crime and senseless murders in this community, quality education, wealth creation, and criminal justice reform. Council members are advocates for the democratic principles of civil rights, women's rights and women's health, immigrants and refugees, the LGBTQIA plus rights, labor and working families. Ask me or my colleagues, we are more than happy to share what keeps us up at night and drives our ethos, pathos, and logos. We have a strong ethical and moral compass. We are compassionate and connected to the people that we serve. Our logos helps us navigate complex systems of people, institutions, facilities, supplies, and resources. 
And then the second thing, ladies and gentlemen, of that evolution is politics. Navigating the art of collaborative leadership, coordinating multiple interests and constituencies, skilled at negotiating compromise. But ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, the third thing and the hardest part of this job is governing. The late Fannie Lewis used to say there's a difference between getting here and staying here. We are here to govern. That is the difficult job of listening to and representing multiple constituencies and special interests. Understanding the intimate and intricate details of multiple city operations and functions. Staying focused, mission driven, and accountable. Governing, the job of making intelligent yet tough decisions and analyzing and approving or rejecting budgets, ideas, and strategic city investments. The oversight of complex systems of delivery to make sure residents get the outcome that they deserve. Creating innovative policy, partnerships, and initiatives that eliminate barriers and opportunities for the people that we love and serve. Ladies and gentlemen, the gravity of this moment does not escape me or my colleagues. We have a Dickensian model of a city. When I say Dickensian, I'm referring to Charles Dickens, the author of A Tale of Two Cities. It describes the best of times and the worst of times. We have some of the most vibrant, trendy, and attractive neighborhoods, but far too many, far too many in our city are left behind of Cleveland's great renaissance. Cleveland City Council declared racism as a public health crisis. We did this because we know that racism and all of the other social constructs in this city have left far too many people on the margins of our society. We have inadequate housing, crumbling infrastructure, and environmental injustice. We have a wide chasm of health disparities in a city with world-class institutions, which is unacceptable. Black women are four times more likely to lose their child before their first birthday than their white counterparts, despite having the same educational attainment and economic attainment. 25% of the children entering kindergarten have elevated blood lead levels. And the life expectancy of Woodland Hills is 20 years less than the affluent suburb of Shaker Heights and is less than a mile away. You hear that from Ms. Marilyn who lives in Woodland Hills. We are struggling with inadequate educational edu achievement. We have a 66% low literacy rate, according to the Seeds of Literacy. Not nearly enough people are entering into the skilled trades. We have stranded scholars, people with some college but dropped out before they could obtain their degree or certifications. We have an unequal criminal justice system, still in need of more reform. And police should not be the only criminal justice system we are trying to reform. We have an antiquated drug policy. That is why council decriminalized marijuana possession and you will receive zero fines and zero jail time for simple possession. We didn't do that because we want to encourage everybody to get high. We did it because it was an unfair policy. Because African Americans are seven times more likely than their white counterparts to receive a charge for simple possession. And we have worked with the administration on their efforts to expunge the records of these folks and held many expungement clinics with the clerk of courts, Cleveland Muni Court, 
activists like Sensible Cleveland and faith-based communities. And I want to give a shout out to my colleagues, Stephanie House and Richard Starr, for creating the first opportunity for that to happen. We have bail reform that needs reform. We need the courts to be reformed. When you still have a secretary that receives far more jail time than another secretary and they have the same offense, we have inequitable justice in our courts. We have a huge amount of young people bound over as adults. That's why I support the efforts of the greater Cleveland congregations to educate us on this and advocate for more fair policies. The system of arbitration consistently overturns police discipline. All of these systems in criminal justice are flawed. We are facing a public health crisis with an unprecedented epidemic of gun violence and an overwhelming opioid epidemic. Ladies and gentlemen, the gravity of this moment does not escape me or my colleagues. Black men and men of color are often more than 90% of the victims and oftentimes, most likely, the perpetrators of violent crime and homicides in our city. If this happened in any other community, or even if it was simple as the monkeypox, there would be no shortage of resources to make sure that we have a comprehensive approach to addressing it that would include prevention, reentry, intervention, and yes, law enforcement support. If we do not stop this modern day tragedy, America will be viewed as an epic failure in the final chapter when the history is written. We are averaging close to 300 drug overdoses, primarily caused by fentanyl over the last three years, and an unprecedented surge in juvenile offenders committing violent crime and carjackings. We are facing crushing poverty and a widening wealth gap. We are still the second poorest city. We have 50% of the children who live in poverty, and some people have just given up hope. On top of that, we are emerging from an unimaginable global pandemic that is now an endemic, the likes that we have never seen since the early 1900s. And I want to take a moment to recognize the 1,050 Cleveland residents that we lost to this deadly COVID-19 virus. You will never be forgotten. But ladies and gentlemen, St. Augustine once used the Latin phrase that adequately describes this moment, ex malo bonum, which translates to good out of evil. Although COVID-19 exacerbated the things that I just mentioned, I've made it my business to not just simply articulate what's wrong with our city without presenting you with some solutions. I do not believe in the soft bigotry of low expectations for our city. In times like this, we need leadership. Cleveland City Council has taken concrete actions and accepted the challenge to address these seemingly intractable problems with ingenuity, a can-do spirit, a collaborative and team approach. We complement our differences with diversity of thought, institutional knowledge, unique and innovative approaches. We've risen to the occasion. We redefined our committee structure. In finance, we added diversity, equity, and inclusion so that we can make sure that every piece of legislation and every investment we make in the city of Cleveland is viewed through an equitable lens. 
We've added education to workforce because quite frankly, ladies and gentlemen, Cleveland City Council needs to be involved in every conversation around education in this city, even if we don't have direct oversight. We've added the arts to our health committee, led by Councilman Conwell, to better engage our arts and culture institutions because they transform communities and are truly economic drivers of our economy. We've added mobility to transportation committee to adequately reflect our multimodal priorities, and that is headed by my good friend and colleague, the majority leader for Cleveland City Council, Kerry McCormick. In budgeting, we passed the budget to reflect the priorities and conscience of the people of this city. We employed responsible budgeting by creating a rainy day fund and established a payroll reserve. We've used one-time rescue plan act dollars, ARPA investments, to address lost revenue and close gaps in our budget. We've invested in fixed assets like technology, equipment, infrastructure, and logistical support. We're leveraging these investments with federal, state, private, and philanthropic investments. Most of all, we help people, the people of this city with the greatest need. We must be cautious in using too many of these dollars for personnel, programs, and staffing. One-time dollars will need to have a dedicated funding source once they are gone. And ladies and gentlemen, we are tired of experiments. So pilot projects are not a priority when we have so many pressing needs in our city. Let's talk about some of the investments and partnerships we're forging to address those pressing needs. We've had strategic investment in our streets by adding 12 to $14 million a year to repair the worst first side streets. We've invested hundreds of thousands of dollars each year in home repair, home rehabilitation, and dedicated out of ARPA funds and other funding, $15 million and more dollars for demolition so that we can get rid of blighted properties in the city. We made strategic investments in our safety forces by supporting shot spotter gun sensor technology and also dashboard cameras and other equipment. We've invested in catalytic neighborhood projects, whether it be the West Side Market or grocery stores like Meyer Supermarket, soon to come to East 105th and Cedar, affordable and market rate housing. We are imagining rehabilitating Lorraine and Superior with bike paths. This supports council-led efforts to promote complete and green streets and our Vision Zero initiative. We have youth development, sports, and violence that we've invested to try to make sure that we put resources in the street in order to try to stop these things and try to stop adverse childhood experiences. We've invested in food insecurity. We've invested in broadband expansion. Investments in, to open our community to cross-country global marketplaces like the Air Lingus deal and the Alaska Air deals. And we have done the hard job of doing job creation. We've done the hard task of pushing meaningful legislation. We finished the task of a working group established by the prior Cleveland City Council and made a massive overhaul of our tax abatement policy to promote fairness and equity. And I really want to give a shout out to my colleagues, Anthony Harrison, Rebecca Maurer, uh, Jenny Spencer, and Chris Harsh, who really, really spent a lot of time chiseling down that policy. Thank you so much. We led the charge to establish the Lead Safe Coalition. Lead Safe Coalition, some of you guys, can you please stand? Lead Safe Coalition.
We passed one of the most historical pieces of, of legislation to make Cleveland homes lead safe. And that has led to the creation of a unified effort and raised $115 million to help largely in part, that was helped largely in part by a $52.5 million investment by the Cleveland Clinic and other private and philanthropic partners to combat the lead crisis in the city of Cleveland. I want to thank my friend. You can give that a round of applause. I want to thank my friend and partner, Tommy Mahalovic, for seeing my vision and supporting it. And I know Tommy's not here today, nor is Vicky, but I definitely want to give a shout out to both of them. We selected three members to serve on the, in the police commission and approved the mayor's 10 selections. My colleague, Jasmine Santana, led the charge to make sure women's hygiene products are available in every city facility. My colleagues, uh, my colleagues, Charles Slife, and then my other colleagues, uh, Rebecca Meyer, Stephanie House, Kevin Bishop, and all of them that are here today, worked hard to pass a paid safe leave policy so that city workers who have experienced partner abuse can have the flexibility and time off to get the social, emotional, and investigative support they need when they are victims of domestic violence. Nationally, we are a leader with this policy. We passed pay to stay, so renters are not forced out of their homes and their living arrangements by unscrupulous landlords while waiting on rental support. We, we, passed, we passed some of the most worker-friendly legislation to protect workers from wage theft and payroll fraud. And I want to thank the Guardians of Fair Work for their advocacy and support on this legislation. We now have just introduced yesterday through my good friends, uh, Councilman Charles Slife and my good friend, Chris Harsh and Kevin Conwell, we just announced legislation that we're going to do medical debt relief yeah. in the city of Cleveland. <laughs> we are getting things done and I am so proud to tell our story. But ladies and gentlemen, we're also visionary. When I think about vision, I think about Michelangelo Michelangelo seen a rock. He observed that rock for hours, for days, for weeks, for years, for decades. But then when it was time to act, he transformed that vision into a reality. He created statues of David, a dying slave, the Pieta, to name a few, masterful pieces of art. Cleveland City Council knows that there are visionary, transformational, creative, and yes, requests for taxpayer investments on the horizon. In order to have a vibrant community that competes with our peer cities, we must have access and innovative development on our waterfront. There are some exciting and visionary projects being developed. The land bridge and lakefront connector can be a game changer. Decisions will be made about the future of the Cleveland Browns and the stadium. We have the Irish Town Bend. We have the Cleveland Innovation District and all the healthcare institutions and academic institutions will be a part of this, supported by Jobs Ohio. We have a $2 billion airport makeover that we're about to embark upon. We have countless neighborhood projects for infill housing to repopulate our neighborhoods, especially the edge neighborhoods like Collinwood, Lee Harvard, and Bel Air Pyridis, and Camps Corner, just to name a few.
And we have arts and entertainment districts throughout the city of Cleveland. Ladies and gentlemen, these projects are great and exciting. But we need to make sure that the 372,624 shareholders of the city of Cleveland believe that they are getting a return on their investment. All right. Council will work with all of these stakeholders on these big, bold, and visionary ideas. However, the people of the city of Cleveland need to see themselves in these big projects. It could be a neighborhood project in a historical district like Hessler, or it could be a major stadium deal for a sports team that helps generate enormous amount of revenue for our city. And ladies and gentlemen, make no doubt about it, in order to run a city, we need money. I love this city, but I tell people oftentimes, romance without finance is a nuisance. <laughs> That's why we're looking to update, reinvigorate, and yes, codify our community benefits agreement strategy. We're looking at equitable investments throughout Cleveland, but diversity, equity, and inclusion is a priority and essential to getting the support of Cleveland City Council. How are we benefiting from this? This needs to be clear, concise, and resolute, not voluntary. That's why Cleveland City Council is about to embark upon this journey to make sure that we have the most ambitious diversity, equity, and inclusion strategy in the history of the city of Cleveland. Ten years ago, my friend and mentor, Mayor Frank G. Jackson, led the charge to create a radical community benefits agreement along with Lou Stokes. But now, we have to take the next step. The people of Cleveland have to see themselves in these transformational projects. So we're creating Community Benefits 2.0. That will be a carrot and a stick approach because first of all, we wanna also make sure that we do construction reform to make sure to make it do easier to do business in the city of Cleveland. We wanna make sure that we have bonding relief for small and disadvantaged firms. We wanna make sure that you can get your bills paid quicker and not have to wait too long. That's why we just implemented some processes in city council to help give the administration the tools to process these faster. We want to revisit the lowest and best bid requirement that oftentimes is manipulated by people who understand the system and disrespects and closes out people who have an opportunity like my good friend from Cook Paving over there. We do listen, see, we do listen sometime, right? We're looking at a community benefits ordinance to codify the expectations and create predictability in the marketplace by making it clear what you need to do to get council and community support for a development project. We want to create a scorecard modeled after the Baker Tilly model in St. Louis that uses that they use in St. Louis to measure community benefits before council agrees to any deal. We want to make sure that we understand the community benefits agreement on the front end and not the back end. These benefits could include everything from infrastructure improvements like curbs and other improvements, a land trust, home repair fund, down payer assistance, and jobs, jobs, jobs. It could also include incentivizing firms, owners, or construction managers who helps grow smaller firms 
by helping with bonding requirements, mentor protege programs, support with supply chain strategies, and setting aside ARPA funds to help MBE, FBE, and CSB firms compete by eliminating these bonding requirements. Clevelanders must be prepared and trained to fill many of the construction jobs we anticipate in the near future. To make that happen, we are expanding our workforce by allocating $10 million in ARPA funds to make sure we provide a pathway for workers to get into the skilled trade unions. We have approximately 6,000 skilled trades men and women in our area, but statistics show that we need approximately 10,000 high-quality skilled tradespeople for the next 10 years for all of these transformative projects that we're talking about. We need to put people to work. These are hard and demanding jobs, but I believe that Clevelanders can handle it. That's why I'm so proud to introduce you, and Dan beat me to it, our newest member of council, one of my best friends, Danny Kelly, a laborer who can help us understand the plight of the working man and the working woman. COVID-19 has revealed that we need to stop sending our jobs overseas and grow our wealth and job creation on East 105th and East 93rd and Woodhill, West 25th Street, Madison, East 125th Street and Collinwood, the Johnson Park Industrial Parkway, food processing plants in Kinsman and the Buckeye area, our Edge and Meds Corridor, our Edge Communities, and also on the Mayor Frank G. Jackson Corridor, the Opportunity Corridor, but y'all missed that, the Mayor Frank G. Jackson <laughs> Corridor. I know y'all missed that, and I know that the state has made a decision to name the corridor after Congressman and uh, Mayor Lewis Stokes, and I love the Stokes family, but we got half the city named after the Stokes family. <laughs> I need that opportunity corridor to be named after the longest serving mayor of this city and a fighter for poor people in this city. We will use ARPA dollars to help disadvantaged firms to pay for the bonding requirements. We must increase the middle class and invest in job creation. 70% of city revenue is generated by income tax generated by workers. That is why it's so critical to grow the middle class and mainstream values and working families in the city of Cleveland. We have to increase the amount of people in the skilled trades. We must also invest in our people through the healthcare industry with the largest employer in the city of, in the city of Cleveland and the state of Ohio, the Cleveland Clinic, and all of our hospital institutions like university hospitals and Metro. We need to make sure that we have smart, clean manufacturing and technology and industry 4.0. We have to change that concept that factory work is old uh, industrial plants where you stand a chance to be infected by mesothelioma or whatever that commercial says. <laughs> but smart clean manufacturing, digitalization, water innovation, our largest asset outside of people, cybersecurity, and the film industry. We must urge the state of Ohio to increase the film tax credit, and we need to make it unlimited, or at least 200 million, as opposed to the 40 million that it currently stands, so we don't continue to lose movies to other cities, which is a burgeoning economy in the city of Cleveland, and we need to capitalize on it. We have to invest in talent acquisition and retention. We have to recruit more teachers, especially black men. 
factory workers, healthcare professionals, STEM professionals, public safety professional. Stop allowing people to tell you that you don't need to be a police officer. We need you on the police department. We need you as firefighters. We need you as EMS workers. We need more first responders, workers, period. We are working with our partners like Cleveland Neighborhood Progress, who is here today, and Ed Stockhausen and Tanya Maness, and also the Land Bank with Gus Frangos and Dennis Roberts, my longtime best friend in this city, to really work on helping our legacy residents who are longtime homeowners and make sure that they don't get priced out of their communities when massive and dramatic new investments take place in their community, like Ohio City, downtown, Little Italy, across, the, across our city. Make no mistake about it, I believe in population growth and new energy to our neighborhoods, but not at the expense of people who had stuck it out in Cleveland in the good days and the bad days. We are partnering with, with the philanthropic community to leverage our investments. I want to thank the Cleveland Foundation and retiring CEO Ron Richard, the Gunn Foundation, St. Luke's Foundation, headed up by my longtime good friend Tim Tramble, who's doing some magnificent things over there, the Mount Sinai Foundation, who have become very close with me over the years, the Mandel Foundation, and the countless other foundations. If I did not mention you, please blame it on my head and not my heart. Cleveland City Council observes the raw, unlimited opportunities and potential of the city of Cleveland. We implement strategies to achieve our full potential as a city, county, region, and state. We understand how to think big and take care of the details. We are master translators. We know how to connect the boardroom and the streets. We know how to make Cleveland strong in the broke places. We preserve the strong and stand up the weak, frail, and disenchanted. We will give you a hug, but we will also give you a piece of our mind. <laughs> because we love this city and we love you. Sharon Dolez Parks once said, those who practice leadership for equity must confront, disappoint, and dismantle, while at the same time, energize, inspire, and empower. But most of all, ladies and gentlemen, we must show an agape love for our community. You want leaders to take care of the basic blocking and tackling of government all while being visionary. I've come to understand the difference between leadership and administration. There's a difference between being a leader and an administrator. Administrators study history, they examine problems, they monitor and identify trends. And there's a need for administrators, especially good administrators. But Cleveland City Council are leaders, leaders. Trendsetters, we set the tone for Cleveland. We hear the needs of the people and we respond to those needs with swift and unwavering commitment. We are like turtles, hard on the outside, soft on the inside and willing to stick our neck out. <laughs> we believe in bringing people together for one common goal and purpose, a better, equitable and prosperous Cleveland. People are tired and exhausted of academic exercises, think tanks, urban anthropology, broken promises, and far too many systems, and not government, by the way, not just government, that have overpromised and underdelivered. People want to see, touch, and feel the change in their community. In closing, ladies and gentlemen, politics often divides us, but purpose unites us.
I look forward to locking arms with you to forge a better Cleveland that works for everyone. We need shared responsibility, shared sacrifices, shared metrics to get out of our comfort zone and unite around the same vision. I want us to be successful, ladies and gentlemen. I end all of my social media posts by saying this. I love CLE. I love Ward 6. And I love my community. But most of all, ladies and gentlemen, myself and the rest of Cleveland City Council loves you. Thank you so much for allowing me to speak to the Citadel. to begin <laughs> We're about to begin the audience Q&A with Ward 6 Councilman and Cleveland City Council President Blaine Griffin. We welcome questions from everyone. City Club members, guests and those joining us via our live stream at cityclub.org. If you'd like to, to tweet a question for our speaker, please tweet it at the City Club. You can also text your questions to 330-541-5794. That's 330-541-5794. May we have our first question, please. Hi there. Um, we're getting several text questions that are coming in on this topic, so we're going to ask a question that combines them. Participatory budgeting has received broad support from residents and some members of council. In other cities, it has effectively engaged disenfranchised residents in the civic process. Can you please explain your position on citizen participatory budgeting? Thank you. You know, we're all organizers, and anybody that are organizers and activists, as I just explained the evolution of many of us, always appreciate any group that wants to engage and anybody who wants to try to create a better outcome with voting and everything else. But I cannot support participatory budgeting as it was presented. We just heard about this in the Finance Committee meeting. Uh, first of all, I truly believe in representative government. Um, I will tell you that also I don't see how it could be done equitable. Uh, one of the things that we have the dubious challenge of doing is representing all of Cleveland. As I told you, we have a Dickensian model of a city. Um, when we have initiatives like this, oftentimes the people who show up are often people that have expendable time. Um, and people that want to come to the table um, to, you know, that, that can do those things. But we represent all of Cleveland. So what about that elderly uh, senior who can't get out and go to meetings? What about that, uh, you know, single mother who has two or three jobs that can't get out and be involved? So I think that is, um, you know, something that I truly understand and we want to work with that group. We've given them some suggestions on what we could do to try to make a, a process of engagement better. Uh, but I do not support participatory budgeting as it is right now because, quite frankly, I don't think it could be done in an equitable fashion. Council President, uh, my question for you is that I see Cleveland as the core and the suburbs as the surrounding it. If the core dies, the surrounding areas will die with it. What is the council doing to try to get that message across that without a strong Cleveland, the suburban areas are not going to be able to uh, be well, do good with the, what they are and go forward without the, uh, Cleveland as a core working well. 
couple of things. One of the things that I want to just set the context for is that downtown represents 50% of the revenue that we get to um, make sure that we pay our bills for the city of Cleveland. So I tell people this oftentimes. I know everybody likes to make these conversations about downtown versus the neighborhood. Uh, but, you know, downtown is a neighborhood. And downtown actually helps generate the revenue that we have in order to get those dreaded potholes fixed that you dislike, to get more police officers, to make sure that EMS shows up when you're ready. Uh, so we got to make sure that we attract some of those folks. 25% um, comes into the University Circle area. So that's two neighborhoods that are 75, approximately 75% of the wealth and the revenue that we have in order to run this city. Uh, so we got to make sure that we tell people, that's why I say we have to be master translators, to create this divisive polarization about downtown versus neighborhood. Downtown is a neighborhood that helps contribute to all of the things that we want to see in the neighborhood. But we also must make sure that we have some innovative processes and working closely with the administration as well as the corporate community and places like Greater Cleveland Partnership where my friend Marty McGann is here and others in order to attract workers back downtown because working from home can be detrimental to us and we need to make people realize and remind them why it's so cool to work downtown and come on back to work. So that's my call to action. Tell them to come back to work. I'm here with another uh, text question that's come in. Um, the city is losing revenue because workers are asking for tax relief when they work from home. What's the legislative fix for this challenge? Well, I mean, I think a lot of it is going to be at the state, but I have to do this before I move any further. I just see my good friend, we go back 25 or 30 years, the county exec, the new county exec for the city of Cleveland, Chris Ronane, if he could please stand. I'm so proud of Chris. Chris and I go back a long way, and uh, me and Chris have had tough conversations, but I can tell you most of the times, Chris is on point with what we want to do for the city. Um, to your point, to your question, that's a tough charge because the state of Ohio often try, times tries to intervene. Um, I'm not sure if there's a ready legislative fix citywide that we're looking at doing that as of right now, uh, but we are working with the corporate community to incentivize the workers to come back downtown, um, whether it be more flexible schedules, whether it be more opportunities for childcare and daycare. We're looking at whatever we need to do in order to contribute and do our part in order to uh, help attract these workers back downtown. But I'm not sure if a legislative fix is what is going to help that happen. Miss Marilyn, I knew you were going to ask me. <laughs> and I promise you that I will not make this a difficult question, but this is something that I think should be addressed. First of all, kudos to you Thank and you. kudos to city council members. But in order for a machine to work well, all parts need to be oiled and put into place. I'm saying that to say even with city council you as head, you also have ward precinct committee people who are very prevalent and important to the work that's done in the city. Uh, most of us are boots on the ground, the roots of the community that you come and gather. That wasn't mentioned today. Maybe it was a slight oversight on your part. Uh, but my question to you is how do you, with all of this going on, and as I say, a machine to work well, all parts must be oiled well. And I'm talking about the spirit of the people who bring this city together. How do you maintain a good and positive spirit, and what is your secret sauce to do this? First of all, uh, thank you, Ms. Marilyn. As y'all can see, why we got tough skin in this city. <laughs> 
Ms. Maryland is one of those people who I'm responsive to every day. And first of all, all of my precinct committee people, as well as any of my other precinct committee people, please stand up if you could. You're right. I'm an organizer. I mean, I started out, where's Ms. Goldston? I started out at Harvard Community Service Center where Elaine Goldston gave me my first job. Um, you know, so I always appreciate that. Then I migrated to East End Neighborhood House, and my East End Neighborhood House family is here. I guess the reason that I'm name dropping and putting those out there, because if you recognize every step along the way are people that are still here working closely with me, inextricably tied in order to organize and build communities. And the reason that that's important for precinct committee people and leaders at the grassroots level is because, quite frankly, you're third party validators. I don't know what happened, but Frank Jackson brought me to City Hall in 2006, and I went from being a community activist to being part of the establishment. <laughs> Everybody in town used to love me until I became part of city government. <laughs> but to make a long story short, we really need to make sure that we listen to people. That's the reason why precinct committee people are so important. That's the reason why I listen to what the precinct committee people are. You're the voice of the city. Um, you are the ones that give us the ideas. That's the reason why equity conversation is so important. That's the reason why these health disparities are so important. That's the reason why housing is so important. And I want to say this right now. We have apartment buildings, and, we, and I want to thank the Moreland's group. None of them are here today. But we have department buildings on Shaker Boulevard and throughout the city of Cleveland that are are in such deplorable conditions that they are having people live in conditions where there's no heat, no electricity, and quite frankly, mold and mildew and everything else. It's almost like a modern day good times. And I'm not talking about good times, ladies and gentlemen, I'm talking about hard times. And when we don't listen to people, we don't need to be in this job. That's the reason why I can't jump and support participatory budgeting because there's a spine in this city, like yourself, Ms. Marilyn, and others. And, and my good friend Marion Crosley uh, from Leadership Cleveland always say this, leaders show up. And you and all these other leaders have been showing up for 40 and 50 years and working out here in the neighborhood. And that's where my responsibility and my obligations lie. Thank you. Thank you, Council President. Um, thank you for the presentation. I wanted you to, if you could just please elaborate a little bit more about your role, what you see your role and City Council's role in education. I just thought that was intriguing and would like to hear more. Well, I think that, first of all, we look at education wrong. Um, first, it starts out with literacy. And I want to, I want I always tell everybody I thank my mother for this. Um, you know, when I got in trouble when I was young, some things I did, I'm still on punishment for, by the way. <laughs> um, you know, literacy where it starts out at. We, that's why we're really working closely with the Cleveland Public Library to really try to make sure that we encourage people to read one million books or read for one million minutes in, um, you know, in the city of Cleveland. Those are simple messages that we can drive home and we can use our platform as Cleveland City Council to really increase literacy. I know my good friend Stephanie House is very passionate about how do we make sure that we make our community more literate? Um, how do we make sure that we drive literacy? So we have to start with the basics there. We also have to get out of thinking that education is about A's, B's, C's, and D's or pass and fail. Education is about how do you create critical thinkers that can come together and build collaborative leadership models in order to deal with problem solving. 
So I think council's job is to redefine how education looks. And I think council's job is not to try to oversee the school district, but making sure that all of the functions and all of the mechanisms that need to be in place um, are supported by Cleveland City Council. That's why we actually just yesterday uh, passed out of committee and it'll be going to finance committee an investment of 600000 for Say Yes to Education because we believe every child in this city needs to go to post-second, post-primary and go to secondary college, either community college, get a certification to be able to work or to be able to go and live that dream of going to college. So city council is there to support these systems and not try to oversee them, but we definitely think we need to be in a conversation because those are our babies. Council, <clears throat> Council President, it's terrific to hear your speech and everything you have to tell us about uh, your role and what you want to do uh, as Council President. Um, I'm a happy and proud resident of the city of Cleveland, the Forest City. And this year, um, well, as you know, those, that forest leaves a lot of leaves, drops a lot of leaves. And this year, when it did, um, a lot of homeowners put their leaves out, as we typically do, to the street. And then we were told that the city wasn't going to pick them up. Um, it changed, it reversed course. That was great. But I was uh, disappointed to hear that only one-third of the city has leaf pickup. Um, that seemed inequitable to me. Um, what is being done about that? And I want to sneak in another question. What are your thoughts about a greater share of the casino tax going to city council? Okay. Thank you for both. Uh, first of all, I'll deal with uh, the leaf pickup. Yes, we heard all the calls. <laughs> Uh, I got to give credit to my colleague, Councilman Kevin Bishop. He really led the charge and said, wait a minute, hey, this is going the wrong way. And basically said uh, to, the, to the mayor, and Kevin Bishop is one of those guys that he's kind of quiet. So when he does speak, everybody's like, whoa, you know, where, where, where did that come from? But, uh, but what we really did is what we really did is we just took it in front of committee and we heard the residents. Um, one third of the city has a larger tree canopy. I'll quite, be quite honest with you, there's a large parts of this city that are not forested correctly. It's one of the reasons why we created and uh, reinstituted the tree commission uh, for the city of Cleveland. I know my colleague Jenny Spencer and so many others really worked with that, which is critical. So that we can make sure that we um, have a tree commission. But I want to make sure that I deal with this issue named equity. One of the biggest issues, and this is also something where we have fierce debates with council. Um, there's also areas that they may need more money for streets or they may need more money for uh, crumbling infrastructure, and other areas are further along in infrastructure. There's other areas that need other ancillary services because also when you look at um, those high generating leaf areas, what it does is, and I learned something from Chief Darnell Brown, I mean, see, I do listen to people, and, and Chief, my former Chief Darnell Brown was you know, giving me some background, but it can create an enormous um, problem if you don't deal with those high leaf generating areas because then your manpower or your woman power has a hard time picking up 50 and 60 bags on the curb as opposed to using the machine to actually get those up. So because they're high generating areas, um, we don't want to put, we put resources where they're needed. That's why it's so important to put so many resources uh, for street repair and some of those other areas. And that's why I say it works first, because that's equity. Um, I, I, I forget the statement. My good friend Richard Starr gave me a statement, but basically say equity is not just um, giving everybody equal. Equity is trying to make sure that you surgically focus on the areas that need it. So we do equity all day, every day. The casino fund is to be determined. 
Um, it's premature. I know that people have a problem sometimes with council members because they say you're not many mayors. But what people need to realize is that every day council people get approached by people for quality of life issues. And we know what's best in our community. So sometimes when we have the ability to make surgical investments, it gives us that flexibility to help our areas become strong in the broke places. So we're going to continue to have conversations, but we also want to make sure that we're responsible and that we don't do uh, something that similarly happened in 2003 or 2004, where we wound up uh, blowing a hole in the general fund budget, and it wound up uh, that we had people that um, got laid off and other services failed. So we want to make sure we look at it, uh, but we want to make sure that we're responsible, and I'm sure that council is looking forward to a rigorous debate about that. Thank you, everybody. I appreciate you so much. Thank you. I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you Council <laughs> President Griffin. Thank you, Council President Griffin. The City Club would like to thank, uh, welcome guests at tables hosted by the AKA team, Antioch Bas Baptist Church, the Center for Community Solutions, Cleveland City Council, the Cleveland Clinic, Cleveland Neighborhood Progress, Cuyahoga County Community College, Contractors Assistance Association, Cuyahoga County Land Bank, Friends of Lane A. Griffin, Global Cleveland, Huntington, Legal Aid Society of Cleveland, Metro Health Foundation, Mount Sinai Health Foundation, and the Northeast Ohio Regional Sewer District. We are so glad that you were all able to join us today and thank you for your support. Next at the City Club on Friday, January 27th, we will welcome two international leaders who were instrumental in ending apartheid in South, South Africa. Then on Wednesday, February 1st, we'll be back at the, the Happy Dog in Gordon Square hearing from local art gallery spaces, several remarkable artists, and their role at the acclaimed Venice Biennale this year. You can learn more about these and other City Club programs at, programs at cityclub.org. And that brings us to the end of today's forum. Thank you once again to Council President Blaine Griffin, and thank you. This forum is now adjourned. For information on upcoming speakers or for podcasts of the City Club, go to cityclub.org. Production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream Public Media are made possible by PNC and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated.